One, two, three, four. Screen time, screen time, screen time, screen time. Screen time. It's my screen time too. Screen time, screen time. Screen Hello and welcome to It's My Screen Time Too, the podcast where two moms review the best and worst in children's programming. From Netflix reboots and YouTube shorts to Disney classics and Pixar blockbusters. We watch, you listen. Find out what you can tolerate watching for family movie night, what to avoid altogether, and what you'll want to watch alone voluntarily. I'm Katie. And I'm Deborah. And I have two kids. Jay, he's six, and Kenny, he's three. And I have three kids. Tony is 12, and Libby and Nate are nine. And they are so adorable, aren't they? They do tend to be. We like to tell a quick story about how awesome or occasionally awful our kids are, because in addition to being witty and incisive pop culture consumers, we're moms too. Do you want to go first, Katie? I would love to, because I have some exciting nerd mom news. Ooh. So you know that I've been kind of obsessing about trying to find books that Jay is interested in reading independently. And like, I don't have to push him to read. At bedtime, instead of me reading the books, Jay laid down with his brother and read the entirety of the book with no pictures to Kenny. Oh my goodness. It was so cute. Did you, were your, your kids young enough to read the book with no pictures? Uh, is that the BJ Novak? Yeah. But yeah, it's really funny. They liked it a lot. <laughs> and I was just like, I didn't even ask him to do it. He's like, mom, I'll read this. And it was so sweet. That's so nice. (laughs) How about your kids? Mine is also reading related. So Libby and Nate have a -a readathon at their school. I may have mentioned it last time. It's like a competition on who can get the most minutes. So recent, so they've been doing a combo of reading print books, listening to audiobooks. But they just this week discovered that we have some books at home. But they can also check out from the library's audiobook app. So they've been listening to the book and looking at the print book so they can just absorb the pictures and listen to the audio, which on one hand is like kind of a clever way to do it. Because if you're reading a graphic novel, it does take longer if you read the words and look at the pictures. But on the other hand, is that just kind of lazy? It's a really hard, or I imagine it's a really hard needle to thread when you're encouraging reading proficiency in kids, but you're also an audiobook enthusiast. Mm -hmm. And I definitely don't mind audiobooks. I mean, I myself listen to podcasts all day long. I always like to have something in my ear instead of my own thoughts. So I get that impulse, but, um, this is a new development. We'll see. I don't know if it will last. I don't know if they're just really trying to get those minutes and maybe their eyes are tired. That, that could <laughs> honestly be the case. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see if it lasts through past the end of the month when the readathon is over. Yeah, I think that's probably smart. This is just <laughs> some like next level ingenuity. <laughs> so should we talk about screen time in the news? Let's do it. I am really excited to hear your take on this article. You picked an article published January 28th um, from TechCrunch by Devin Caldwe with the headline, Screen Time Inhibits Toddler Development Study Finds. 
I love headlines like that. <laughs> Clickbait for uh, screen time podcast hosts for sure. So this article parsed a study done by University of Calgary psychologists that was recently published in the JAMA Journal Pediatrics that examined the effect of screen time at different points in young children's development at 24 months, 36 months, and 60 months. Isn't 60 months, is that five years old? Mm-hmm. Okay. And they found a correlation, not a causation, that greater screen time at 24 months was associated with poorer performance on developmental screening tests at 36 months and similarly screen time at 36 months affected performance on development tests at that five-year-old mark too. I didn't read the whole JAMA pediatrics studies. So I don't, I have a lot of questions like how much screen time are they talking about? Like later in the article, it says the kids were averaging two to three hours per day. It doesn't really talk about what they were watching. Mm-hmm. It doesn't talk about what their parents were doing. It doesn't talk about what type of household do these kids live in? Can their parents not afford childcare? Can their parents not spend time with them because they are side hustling when they're home? Like, I just feel like the causation can't just be screen time. It's got, there have to be other factors here. Yeah, there were definitely some big question marks. Um, One of which, and the first one that jumped out to me was, this is all self-reported data. Mm -hmm. It's not like they were using like a independent quantitative method to tot all these hours up. And then the other thing the author says, and I'm sure the authors of the study said it too, was you know, there's some distinction to be made between quality sque- between high quality screen time and low quality screen time, but this study does not make that distinction. But then the article certainly goes on to imply, and I don't know if the study does this as well, that they're primarily talking about like passive screen time, like sitting in front of a television show. Did you get that impression from the article? I wasn't really, I mean, it just was so nonspecific about what, how they defined screen time. Like, is it a kid in a backseat with an iPad whose parent has a long commute to their chat, to their daycare? That's different than, I don't know, a home where like the TV in the living room is PBS on all day and the kid is kind of wandering in and out. It's so hard to know. Right. So here's my follow-up question to that for you. Is this kind of non-specific lumping of screen time study an important first step to getting to more of that specificity? Or have we already moved past the point of this being useful? Like, do we need to just jump to a higher level of specificity and be like, this is this is what we found for kids that spend three hours on it on an iPad watching YouTube all day? Yeah, maybe. Um I mean, I feel like the American Academy of Pediatrics has pretty good guidelines that are probably research-based, although maybe that research is a little old. Maybe maybe this does need to be studied. I just kept thinking while I was reading this article about that study that just came out about was sort of a test of universal basic income where researchers gave 
like some parents, like a kind of a lot of money per month. And then some parents, like, I don't know if it was like no money or less money and like surprise the parent, like the children of the parents who got a bigger chunk of money, like were happier and healthier after a year or whatever, because the parents didn't have to worry about money as much. Like to me, that's like such a more useful use of researchers study time than I don't, I don't know this like very ambiguous to me, see me in study, but I don't know. I don't know if we can actually get the full text of this article. It'd be interesting to see what, how they actually measured the self-reported screen time. Yeah. This might just be a matter of how the media is reporting this. Cause it should be mm-hmm. said that like this study was covered or at least popped up in headlines for a number of different news outlets. So it's not just TechCrunch that was reporting this. And, you know, it's all about what gets those clicks and Mm -hmm. parents are terrified of screen time right now. So, of course, they are going to click on this article that is going to tell them just exactly what they feared, which is either Mm -hmm. going to reinforce their feelings that they're doing it wrong or make (laughs) them feel even more sanctimonious about doing it, quote unquote, right. Right. I don't know if the articles are helpful, but you're right. That's not to say that the study is not useful. We should make that distinction. Do you, are you able to read articles like this from like such a place of peaceful remove now that your kids are like kind of out of the danger zone? <laughs> I mean, things move so quickly. Like Tony was just telling his younger brother and sister like the iPad wasn't even invented when I was born (laughs) which is true and they were like whoa (laughs) so I do feel a little bit uh, I just think like everything has been ramped up with smartphones and iPads and like it wasn't like that 12 years ago when I had like a baby and a toddler it was like a little bit of PBS kids in the afternoon. And that was about all we had to worry about when he was like in that, just getting introduced to media stage. I think it's harder for parents now, more tech, more problems. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) So follow up from last episode. I have to confess, I have not watched any more Hotel Transylvania movies, charmed though I was by Transfermania. And I also haven't introduced Tony to Billy Madison or Happy Gilmore. Oh, man. (laughs) It's just been a short two weeks since we last recorded. So there's still time. Yeah, it's busy. We're all busy. (laughs) Speaking of busy, let's busily get into our main topic, shall we? Okay. All right. This week, we are talking about Big Nate, which premiered on February 17th, 2022 on Paramount+. Plus. It's produced by Nickelodeon Animation Studios, and there are so far eight half-hour episodes. It looks like there were also some shorts that aired on Nickelodeon earlier this year. The show is uh, done in 3D-style computer animation, which is done by Zentrix Studios, the same animation studio that did the what I consider to be truly unsettling looking Rugrats reboot for Paramount Plus. Have you caught any of this or seen any of the art from this? I've just seen ads on Paramount Plus and it looks 
not good. Yeah, it's pretty scary looking because when you think about the characters on the original Rugrats, like they weren't necessarily made to look true to life. But mm-hmm. then you take those renderings and you make them 3D and it's just kind of the stuff of nightmares to me at least yeah <laughs> but it's unappealing Rugrats is not our topic today we're talking about Big <laughs> Nate which is based on a comic strip turned children's book series by Lincoln Pierce and the strip first appeared in 1991 so this is a show about a middle schooler yes he's a middle schooler right Okay, Mm -hmm. a middle schooler named Nate Wright and his friends and Nate's big claim to fame is that he is a top notch prankster. So he's always getting into trouble with the school establishment and the episodes follow his adventures and to a slightly lesser degree those of his teenage big sister and sad sack dad. (laughs) Uh, We picked it because obviously we could not pass up a show about a kid named Nate had to be on our list. We watched or rather attempted to watch uh, the first three episodes. Episode one, The Legend of the Gunting. Episode two, Go Nate, It's Your Birthday. I have to say it with that intonation. That really had to happen. Uh, And episode three, Valentine's Day of Horror. I will confess here, as I did to Deborah before we taped, that I was only able to watch the first two episodes, not for lack of trying. My internet totally punked out last night. I had to make the kids. Wa- I had to make the kids watch cable because <laughs> there were no streaming services available. Oof. Yeah. So as usual, we'll go through the episodes one by one and then move on to our more general thoughts. Deborah, do you want to take us through the legend of the Gunting? Sure. In this first episode, we meet the entire cast of characters. Nate is not a great student. He's always getting into trouble. And in this episode, he narrowly avoids expulsion from school, which they call being gunted after a former student had been suspended for like five days in a row and then never returned to the school despite a new student who's posing as like a wealthy son of a famous family who's trying to sabotage Nate and the school. What did you think of this episode? I had no idea what to think of this series going in because I had never read any of the comic strips or children's books on which it's based. So I was going in completely blind I will get into this more in our general thoughts, but like I am not really on board with prankster as protagonist because Mm -hmm. I hate pranks and it has nothing to do with my status as a mother and like what I want my kids to be doing. I have hated pranks my entire life. How did this these cruel, mean spirited jokes get labeled as something that's supposed to be fun and enjoyed by everyone? I don't understand. That being said, the episode was unexpectedly funny. Yeah, I think Big Nate is uh, in the model of like a Dennis the Menace. You root for him, but you know he's just making bad choices. I don't know if I have that in me. (laughs) Um, And then the, the thing I didn't really enjoy was the kid who 
the character who's like new to the school, who's posing as this um, wealthy kid who turns out to be like an escapee from a juvenile detention center. He has a constant runny nose that is so disgusting. It's really gross. It's really gross. I could hardly get past it. It made me think of like when my kids used to be in preschool and I'd go to pick them up. There was always one kid who had like the stuff coming out of their nose. And I just couldn't like that green stuff was like the reason I never went into early childhood education. Can't take it. <laughs> this is a sixth grader. It was that whole character's design was like really well observed though. Like he was such a snaky kind of kid. He mm-hmm. had like dandruff all over his hair and his shoulders and the snotty nose. And he would take his pranks to like the dangerous level. Yeah. Yeah. He was very repulsive. Yeah. yeah. It was, it was some quality character design and <laughs> n- not nearly as terrifying as the Rugrats. any other thoughts specific to the legend of the gunting i'm okay moving on to episode two okay so in go nate it's your birthday it's obviously nate's birthday and his dad feels guilty that he didn't get him a fancy present so gives him his credit card and tells him that he can get something as long as it's under 50 dollars which nate takes to mean that he can get as much stuff from as many different places as long as every time he swipes the credit card it's under $50. So he ends up maxing out his dad's credit card. He joins this town sled dog race in attempt to like make the money back. Uh, and he doesn't win so he eventually has to fess up to his dad. And there's a B plot with his sister. <laughs> Ooh, is afraid she's claustrophobic. So she's going to be the husky queen for this sled dog race that involves like jumping out of the statue of the husky to like, I don't know, congratulate the winner at the end of the race. But she has to overcome her fear of tight spaces, which her dad helps her do. And there are a lot of quite funny physical gags with her being squeezed into really improbably tight spaces. Mm hmm. I liked the B plot. I liked that the dad was so open about his mental health issues because he was like, hey, I have anxiety. Here's how how I've overcome it. He admits that like the reason he gives Nate his credit card is because he's afraid of what could happen if he gives Nate not such a great birthday celebration. <laughs> I, I don't know. I felt myself empathizing with the dad a lot in this one. For sure. There are some extremely specific choices made in this show that I found really (laughs) enjoyable. Like Nate's dad has this whole side conversation with an imagined version of himself that's wearing (laughs) a barrel. You know, like those old timey cartoons where someone will be naked wearing like a barrel on suspender straps. Mm-hmm. Like why? <laughs> and it was just so so great and again so weirdly specific that it worked. Mm-hmm. So should we? I can summarize. I can tell you about episode three, Valentine's Day of Horror. Yeah, if you wouldn't mind, I'm so sorry again about missing it. No worries. Um, I think in the past I've skipped third episodes just because I got bored. <laughs> All right, that makes me feel better. Thanks. <laughs> um, so Nate has a crush on another student named Jenny. 
and the principal of Nate's school has to pass a school inspection and both of their quests for, so Nate's quest for Jenny, the principal's quest for a clean up to code school. They're both thwarted by like a poisoned pizza delivery where everybody in the school gets severe food poisoning. There's a lot of vomiting. Ooh, yeah, sounds like. And I know that's your favorite thing. Ooh. Gross out and here is tops for Deborah. <laughs> I, I I mean, right below this one, I wrote, too gross for me. <laughs> there was a little funny bit of uh, dialogue. Um, I think it was the principal said, was talking disparagingly about the holiday and said something like love and it's super spreader Valentine's day. And I liked that, uh, like new vocabulary term we've all absorbed in the last two years put to that use. It was funny. Yeah. You rarely, you so rarely hear the word super spreader used in a comedic sense. (laughs) (laughs) And speaking of character specificity, The same can be said of the principal. In the pilot episode, there's this whole thing about he really wants extra money for the school to make a drone racetrack and how he's obsessed with drones. And at one point, the kids break into his office and he has like a stack of super drone specific magazines. I don't know. It's these little moments really, really made me like a show that I otherwise would have hated on the face because of how I feel about pranks. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, the writing was very clever, I thought. All right. So obviously, we're jumping into our general thoughts. First, tell me, Deborah, have you read or do you read the Big Nate comics with your kids? They are hugely into Big Nate. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So we have a set of all the books. And any books that have come out after that, like nine volume set we have, I think there's a big Nate comic in the paper every day. Wow. I think. And my main exposure to it is audiobooks. So my kids check out big Nate books from the library's audiobook system. They listen to them, but I cannot stand the books because the narrator's voice, it's like a middle-aged man posing as a middle schooler. And Mm. so it's like not believable and big Nate as a narrator of his own books is is like more mean spirited than the big Nate in this show. I think because it's older, like there's tons of There's a substitute teacher called Mrs. Godfrey, and she is, I don't know, one of Big Nate's main antagonists. And the way he treats her in the books is so like fat phobic, misogynist, ageist. I don't care for Big Nate, the books. So here's my question. Are the books like when you read them and you don't listen to them, are they like uh, graphic novels? That is a good question. I think they're, I think they're sort of like diary of a wimpy kid. They're like a combo. Okay. Because like, I can't sh- imagine sitting down and listening to an audiobook of a graphic novel would be very satisfying. Yeah. I think there's blocks of texts 
blocks of text and illustrations. Okay. Okay. That makes more sense, I guess. Um, so your kids love it, but you hate it. Yeah. And they were, we were all excited to watch this big night show because it's a big part of our reading lives, I guess, listening lives. Plus I have a child named Nate. He likes Nate because he's named Nate. (laughs) (laughs) So with this wealth of big Nate experience behind you, how did you feel about the show? Did you like it? I liked the first episode a lot. Second was fine. The third one was just too gross for me. And I think that gross out factor is big with elementary school kids who like aspire to middle school. Right. But it might, this show might not be for me. Yeah. I really responded well to the writing. I love the way the characters were written, but as far as like the overarching structure of the show, I don't, I don't think it's for me either, obviously, given how I feel about pranksters. Yeah. My first workplace out of college was big into pranks, and I think it scarred me forever. Like, this was my first lesson in being, like, a real, honest-to-goodness adult with responsibilities, and people were, like, wrapping people's offices with sandwich paper. It was awful. That's really weird. (laughs) It still stresses (laughs) me out to think about it, however many years later. So were there any of the characters that you particularly loved or hated? Were you just so relieved to hear Nate being like an actual kid voice? I was. I was truly happy that it wasn't that middle-aged whiny man who narrates the books. Um, I liked, besides the dad, and I also liked that he's a single dad. I think that's a representation we don't see a lot of. Mm -hmm. One of Nate's crew of friends is a girl and she's like a child actor which was a funny bit Uh that was a like I liked every scene that she was in I also loved her and of course I hated Nate because I hate pranksters and I just don't understand why they're supposed to be appealing looking back as a child not a Dennis the Menace fan either I I just I just can't yeah remember horrid Harry yes oh yeah yeah, I think I don't love characters that are in that mold. And yeah, Nate is definitely, he's not as bad as Ford Harry, but he's verging on it. Yeah, the charming scamp is just not, unless the charming scamp is like pulling his pranks to be like to the ultimate benefit. If it's like a Robin Hoodish situation, I'll, I'll take that. But yeah. just for yucks, no thanks. Yeah. All right, so I told you what I thought about the Rugrats animation. (laughs) What did you think about the animation here? I thought it worked fine and looked fine, but you have a greater sense of familiarity with these characters as they exist on the page. So how was that transition for you? Okay, well, I'm dying to hear what you thought about. It's like supposed to look like claymation, but it's not claymation. That was weird. But I did like sometimes like in moments uh, where there's a ton of action, they go to like the graphic novel frame comic book look. Mm -hmm. And I liked those scenes a lot. I thought that was a fun departure from the not claymation animation. Yeah, it reminded me a little bit of what we loved about Mitchell's versus the machines and the sort Mm -hmm. of blending of different media. 
mm-hmm. in a way that is appealing to the youths of today. Uh, so I also like that quite a bit. As far as the faux stop motion animation look, I actually really dug it as a contrast to the ubiquitous look of like the kind of smoothed out look of modern computer animation projects. I -hmm. like that they're trying to give it more of like a rough edged feel. And I thought it was one of the better implementations of the kind of faux 3D look that I've seen. Mm -hmm. I thought it was used effectively and it was noticeable enough to like remark on it visually. Obviously I wasn't mistaking these cartoon characters for actual human beings, but it didn't take me out of the story at all. Mm -hmm. Nice. What did you think? I thought I liked it. It was okay. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Those are my insights. Okay. So now I'm going to put you on the spot about the music because there wasn't much music, but Deborah, the theme song. Did you hate it as much as I did? I don't think I hated it as much as you did. It's like really fat up tempo. It's sort of like a punk, supposed to sound like a punk song, catchy. It's about detention. I don't know. I thought it was fitting. I thought it was fitting for the show and for like, it's trying to appeal to those elementary school kids who are not quite in middle school that want to find out what that's all, what that world's going to be all about. I hated this song so hard. <laughs> Pop punk is not really my jam. Yeah. The lyrics are all about being irresponsible and horrible, and they don't even rhyme. Let me read this to you, Deborah. Okay. I had to look it up. I was so angry. Here are the lyrics. Don't want to go to school today. The sun is red hot and I want to play. Fine. That's all fine so far. Kind of Phineas and Ferb-esque. But if I get caught, they'll make me pay. Detention again. Math and social studies just ain't my thing. Rocking with my band is where I'm king. And this is where they really lost me. Stealing a teacher's teeth or failing a test. Ooh, big Nate. Yeah, that's not good. When you break it down like that, it's not very good. Stealing a teacher's teeth or failing a test. Really? That's like the big finish you want to go with? It doesn't rhyme with anything. Two random things. <laughs> I I don't I don't get it. Big, big black mark against the show. Yeah, not good. Not good when you read it out without the word without the tune. Thanks. <laughs> I'm not sure it was good with the tune, but I wasn't about to try singing on this podcast. You're welcome. Any thoughts on the length and structure? 22 minutes long, great episode length. I can stomach it if my kids like really want to watch this. I could watch an episode with them, even if it was gross. Did you notice at all that the plots of the episodes corresponded to the plots of any of the comics you've read? Or did your kids see? I haven't it? paid enough. I haven't paid because this is Big Nate is something my kids can read and listen to independently. So I haven't paid enough attention to the macro plot. I've just been annoyed by the microaggressions yeah. against Mrs. Godfrey. Yeah. <laughs> and whereas I feel like 
the opposite was almost true of me watching this show is that I was very appreciative of the little beats and that made Mm -hmm. it much more tolerable. Were you able to compare this to any shows or movies for grownups? I thought of two characters. So I thought of a protagonist from the office because he's a real subversive element in that corporate structure in a way that makes him a hero. Oh, I also thought of Killing Eve because um, Villanelle, the antagonist of that show, like she just doesn't care. She doesn't care much in the way that Nate is like, I'm going to use this credit card, even though I know it's wrong. But she is explicitly a sociopath. (laughs) Well, (laughs) Nate, are you a budding sociopath? We'll see where Nate ends up in 10 years. So what were you able to compare it to? Uh, Well, I was just thinking about movies and TV in which adults behave like irresponsible children. So Mm. I thought of old school and also this movie that I've been meaning to see but still haven't seen and I'm not going to remember the title. So this is going to be a useless comparison. (laughs) I think it stars maybe Jason Bateman and maybe Rachel McAdams. And it's like adult friends get together to play a really elaborate game and it's a comedy and I've kind of wanted to see it, but I haven't. Okay. I love Jason Bateman. We're so different. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Were you able to cast the gritty HBO reboot? Okay. So we are watching Ted Lasso like 20 years after everybody watched it and really enjoying it. (laughs) So I wanted to cast Nick Mohammed who plays Nate on Ted Lasso. (laughs) And I would cast him as like a bad middle school substitute teacher who hates the rules and leads the kids astray in the mold of a Dennis the Menace slash Horrid Harry slash Big Nate, but who's a grown up. Wow, that gives me such anxiety that there would be a teacher in my kid's life that was leading them astray in this way. I'm stressed out already, but I would probably make it through the pilot episode at least. <laughs> but it would be funny because that that actor, he just is so like, I don't know if what he's like in real life, but the Nate he plays on Ted Lasso is such a rule follower and so true. earnest and sincere. Have you made it to the end of Ted Lasso? We're in the middle of the second season. Oh, I'm so jealous that you're getting to experience that for the first time. (laughs) Were you able to cast the gritty HBO reboot? I was just thinking about adult actors that like still look the same. So Mm. I would cast Joseph Gordon-Levitt as Big Nate. (laughs) And I would cast Gabrielle Union as his cashew dressing actor friend and then I had trouble with everyone else but then I thought it would be funny to cast Paul Rudd as the like snot-nosed sociopath from the first episode that would be funny (laughs) I can see that do you think it was better when we were kids you mentioned Dennis the Menace did we have any other big pranksters on the radar we had I think when I was like my kids age I really liked to watch Clarissa explains it all Uh uh-huh and Blossom So I think it might have been a little bit better when we were kids. I was successfully able to like navigate my childhood without being exposed to very many pranksters. So I'm all for that. Yeah, I can't, you know, like in the movie Goonies, Mm -hmm. they're so mean to Chunk and they make him like do the truffle shuffle before he can like come into the house. Yeah. Like that just makes me so sad for him. 
I know. So I guess like pranksters and people who are just mean spirited towards other people because they can be, they just, they've always made me sad. Yeah. So I don't know if it's better so much as like still sadly present. Yeah. I think maybe the difference between Big Nate, this show, and maybe the books and like the shows of our youth is that Big Nate is mostly self sabotaging. I think I know the answer to this, but would you ever watch Big Nate alone voluntarily? Never. How about you? No, 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 no. I get anxiety just thinking about it. Like, even without the prank aspect, cringe comedy is just not for me. That's part of the reason Mm -hmm. why I haven't revisited The Office since it originally aired. I didn't even finish the entire run of that show because, like... Oh, my gosh. Office Space is the movie I meant. Oh, okay, okay. Office Space, not the not the Steve Carell vehicle, the I thought the you one were talking the about like Jim as the like love the the lovable prankster. <laughs> Sorry, I meant the one where they like kick the fax machine okay. to death. <laughs> okay, that makes more sense to me. <laughs> Ten seconds on whether or not this is good for our kids. Did you watch it with them? I did. My kids liked it. I think it's fine. It's not worse or better than other stuff that they watch i will let my kids watch jedi's fight and be unconcerned that like this will turn them into laser wielding soldiers but man i do not want to unnecessarily expose my kids to pranks i do not want them to become pranksters i mentioned at the top of the episode that like I have a real problem with YouTube and I don't really let my kids watch it. Pranksters are like a huge genre on there. Jay Mm -hmm. is already talking about pranks. I don't want to expose him to more pranks than he already is because I just don't want that negativity around me. (laughs) Fair enough. So not for me, not for my kids. Ratings? This is tough. Even though it wasn't for me, I'm going to give it a four because I liked a lot of the writing and the animation for even though I didn't really like it yeah it's so hard I agree with you on both of those points like I'll be a little bit more miserly and give it a three and a half but I couldn't even just give it a straight three because the writing was so sharp and the animation was so innovative Mm -hmm. in a way that I really wish they had brought to the terrifying Rugrats (laughs) right But I would check out more of what's on Paramount Plus based on the quality of this show. That's fair. And we can do that. Listeners, if you have something that you've seen on Paramount Plus that you want us to cover, just shoot us a tweet or a Facebook notice. Notice? Nope. Just shoot us a message and (laughs) we'll look into it for you. Thanks for listening to this episode of It's My Screen Time Too. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. You can check out our website at myscreentime2.com. Send us that message on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, and even on Gmail at myscreentime2. You can send us your show or movie suggestions, article recommendations, or general comments about the show. Our theme music was composed and performed by me and my adorable children, and our podcast is produced by Katie. Tune in next time for more real talk about the movies and TV beloved by kids and tolerated by parents. Bye. Bye.